When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Marcus Rashford or Paul Pogba? Who should have taken Manchester United's penalty in the one-all draw against Wolves? Fat debate headlines, another packed edition of the Gagenpod as we talk City, they are Spurs, freakish injuries, and so much more. David Weiner with you, joined by Richard Bayless, Michael Bridges, and Ashley Westwood, who brings his insight from over 400 games of football league experience in England and a recent trip to work with Man U TV. And Bridgie, what did you make of, of that this morning? Scenes at the Molyneux. Very interesting. And it was uh, hard to actually watch, knowing that every club that I've been at, I, can, I could tell you who the designated penalty taker was. And after Rashford scored that goal and that penalty the week before, I just felt he was belittled by Pogba. And it was all about Pogba yet again. Yes, he's a fantastic player in the park. He showed that against Chelsea. The, the moment of magic in the penalty area to win the penalty. And I, I just thought it was very, very selfish from the man. And when I look at his record on the penalty spot, that's four misses in 11 or in the last 12 months or in 11 games since he's taken the penalties. And, and just not good enough. And if I was Rashford, I'd be very, very devastated. But Solskjaer's interview said, listen, it's all about the, the player's autonomy. We know who the two designated penalty takers are. And it's who feels up for it at the moment in time. And um, a bit wishy-washy, but obviously that's the way they want to do it. And I think it's just to accommodate Pogba and his ego. Ash, Solskjaer's copped a fair bit from the UK press about the fact that he had the open uh, with the two penalty takers and that he needs to make a call on one. I mean, you've spent a bit of a time around the club with Man U TV and whatnot um, in the, in the off-season, into the pre-season. What did you make of that policy and that strategy that they can choose to take the penalty? Yeah, I think um, you'd like your, your head coach to be assertive, I suppose, and, and name the penalty taker. But I think what he's got with Pogba is, I think he knows the season rests on Pogba's shoulders. You know, being in and around that camp, they know how important Pogba is. If he leaves, they're basically thinking that the season's over because they haven't really got any top, top midfielders. So I think what he's trying to do there is, is maybe just keep him happy, keep him on side. Because you know with Pogba, once he, he spits his dummy out, he can, be a, he can be a nightmare as what happened with Jose Mourinho. So I think... Um, he's just leaving it open. You can see the power of Bogbo. He's pulled rank. He's more or less just brushed Rashford out, out of the way and just said, I'm taking it. And, and that's the way it is. Bogbo uh, runs that club inside out, I think. Do you think he's bigger than United, Pogba? I think they, they're just completely reliant on him. Uh, and when you see him train, when you see the games, when you speak to coaching staff, when you speak to analysts, um, they know how important Pogba is. He's, he's a world-class player. You know, it'd be in most people's world 11s. He's that good. And they've only got McTonomy, Matic, Pereira as replacements, and they aren't top four material, those, those midfielders. So I think Pogba really is, is kind of just got a bit of a free reign. So this is Solskjaer's kind of dressing room management in a way. So whilst externally everyone's saying he's got to make a call so that Rashford can be the one to step up, 
it might be a case of actually indulging Pogba to actually you know make sure he's got the best out of him, which everyone is wondering, how do you get the best out of him? I think for sure. Um, and it, and it, it shows, you know, it shows what happened to Marino when Pogba didn't want to play, when he was, you know, made to be disciplined and, and he's defending and whatnot. So you have to keep Pogba happy if, if you want a good season. It's as simple as that. If Pogba had taken the penalty last week and he'd have scored and he'd have missed this week, it wouldn't have been such a talking point. The fact that you've got Rashford stepping up to take it last week, he's had the ball taken off and by Pogba. There was a bit of a debate going on. You could see it. He said, I've got it. Yeah. And... Basically, the kid, Rashford, has... I think he's gone into his shell and thought, oh, it's Pogba, I've got to give him the ball. And he's missed it. Now we're talking about because that has shown the dynamics. Yes, it's whoever favours it. But if I've scored that last week, I'm sorry. I'm keeping that ball and I am putting it on the spot and I am taking it. It was a fascinating situation in France over the weekend, which was not too dissimilar. Marseille have had a horrible start under Andre Villas-Boas. And Dimitri Payet, who was kind of their big dressing room kind of ego, he actually gave the ball to Dario Benedetto and said, why don't you take it? Marseille desperately needed that first win. Benedetto missed the penalty, and Villas-Boas afterwards was absolutely furious with the fact that Payet had decided to not take it himself. Well, do you remember it with Neymar and Cavani? What is it like in a dressing room with that hierarchy over a spot kit, and how much waiting is is put on that decision-making? I think when moments like that, when you've got a lot of players that are on goal bonuses, that are wanting to be the main players in this situation... It's up to the manager and the coaching staff to come up with a designated penalty taker to get rid of all this player autonomy on that on that penalty because it's basically a free reign. Oh, do you want to take it? Yeah, yeah, I'll have it. It becomes an absolute farce and I think we've witnessed that many a times and I can't think who it was last season or the season before when they t- took the penalty off and actually missed it. Uh, it happened was, happened in the Leeds game. Was, it, was that what it <laughs> Pablo was? Pablo Hernandez and, and Patrick Bamford, yeah. When they took it off each other and, you know, I, I remember taking... Martin Smith was our designated penalty taker at Sunderland. He was a left back. And I scored two against Sheffield United. He actually came up and gave me the ball to take it to get my hat trick. And I put it wide and missed. And thankfully we were we won the game four two. I got my balls ripped off me by Peter Reed in the dressing room for the game. And so did Martin Scott, the designated penalty taker, because he said you should have put that on the spot and you should have taken it. So we knew who the designated penalty spot. It was a bit of I had that with Martin uh, Martin Scott. It didn't go down well because the gaffer insisted he makes the rules. I think um, that's kind of the way that the game's going at the minute. Everyone's your coaching badge is all about guided learning. You know, including people in the decision making. You know, the old fashioned manager uh, dictating uh, you do this, you do that is kind of going out of football. You know, even in and around camps, there's a lot of small unit meetings. There's a lot of uh, meetings where players are, are asked to have their input. They have input into the analysis. So I think that's the way the game's going. But it's as simple as in the dressing room, you know who the leaders are. People have a pecking order. And, and Pogba, you can see clearly that he runs that dressing room. So, Rich, we talk about headlines and uh, the way the things work in the world of football. Ed Rashford had stepped up this morning, as Ryan Giggs said on the production on Optus Sport. Uh, and misses... It's not really a story, but when Rashford uh, Pogba takes it, what does Gary Neville come up with? Initially, I was fuming with Pogba. I thought, typical you, you're selfish. Why are you even thinking of taking a penalty off a player? What happens now? How does this play out? What's this do to the whole dynamic of Manchester United season? Well, I wonder what the influence or impact of someone like a Harry Maguire is on that dressing room now that Paul Pogba maybe isn't the biggest fish in there. Certainly, the price tag that came with Maguire rivals that of Pogba. So is he kind of feeling like he needs to assert himself a bit more? It'd be fascinating. But I think there's also a storyline that 
Marcus Rashford now is seen as a senior player. Everyone's saying he should have had it. He's in good form, started the season well. And if him and Martial can be that combination up front for United, maybe it just moves the story away from Paul Pogba, which is probably a good thing for United because it's been all about this one personality for so long. These young players now need to step up. And the signs are already that maybe they're doing that. Martial scored a couple with the number nine shirt on. I wonder what impact that might have for his confidence, Bridgie, as well. And Rashford is clearly their talisman up front. So maybe it just moves the story away from Pogba. Four points. I mean, that's a reasonable start for them. As I said, you, you spend a bit of time around the Camash, and there's been a, a call in this instance from some United legends for Solskjaer to, to make a call on the penalty situation. How do you think this whole plays out for him? And how do you think he's handled the start to the season so far? I think um, before the season started, playing Chelsea and then Wolves away is, is a quite tricky. You know, it could have easily been no points. I think they would have took the four points from six, uh, puts them in a, in a healthy position, one win obviously in a draw. Um, and I think Solskjaer has, has handled it quite well. All his press conferences seem to be on the, on the ball. You know, he, he diffuses situations quite easily. He answers the questions. He doesn't hide away from everything. And I think he's got the, the full respect to the players. Uh, you know, speaking to him in Perth, one of the things he did actually mention, going back to this, this kind of situation that's happened, is his players of today now, they don't really speak. You know, there's no, uh, no one's being assertive. There's no Roy Keane in there. There's, there's no Brian Robson. There's no one leading. And he, he, he said that the squad actually lacks leaders. That's the reason of Simon Maguire. And that's the reason that Paul Pogba can go up, take that ball off Rashford and take the penalty. You can bet if Roy Keane was on that pitch, he would have made sure Rashford would suck it. And that you don't have the characters the same these days. Yeah. I think Harry Maguire would probably have done that in about four or five weeks' time. I still think it's a very early sign for him and he's just bedding himself in. But I'd love to see him stick one on Pogba and train, I'll tell you. Or an Ed boat with that head. <laughs> what, is, what was your biggest observation of them in, in the preseason? You, you saw them in, in Perth, uh, up close and, and personal, and then you've obviously been watching them closely as they've sort of gone and played an open Chelsea and then played a more uh, defensive-minded Wolves. With all that put together... What's your assessment of where they're at? Yeah, my, my personal opinion was uh, they, they've got potential to be a good side. They've got quite a few young players now, young players coming through. They, they lacked an out-and-out number nine, obviously with the Kaku going out of the building. They haven't been able to replace him. And Marshall is kind of like a makeshift number nine. He's not, he's not the finished article. Rashford is could be a number nine, but only playing in a two, which is why he's ended up playing on the left-hand side. Um, and also, you know, midfield-wise, they've got Pogba, that's a top player, and they haven't got loads and loads of, of high-class players other than that. Wan-Bissaka's been a, a, a great signing. Obviously, Maguire's been a signing, so they're starting to get there, but they're certainly not the finished article yet. Now, I know, Rich, uh, you're a Nuno Espirito Santo. Is, is, they're, they're talking about Wolves being in that pack that pushes for the top six, but you're a, a firm believer in that uh, you'd like to see them do a little bit more with the ball. They didn't have to this morning, and that was pretty much classic Nuno, wasn't it? Whether it's doing more with the ball or just knowing how to play against teams that also don't want it, I suppose. Uh, that was their downfall last year. The reason they took so many points off the big teams is that it suits them perfectly not having the ball. I wonder about their squad depth though and you know whether they can go on the same kind of run this year and take the points off the big boys. They certainly play the football that can do it, but if they progress through to the Europa League and have a bit of a run in there, do they have the amount of players to challenge? They've certainly got the quality. We've seen Ruben Neves who scored now 10 goals outside the box in the last two years. Only two players have scored more than that, I think, in uh, Christian Eriksen and, and Harry Wilson, Wilson actually on loan from Liverpool at Bournemouth and he scored one from outside the box on the weekend too so they've certainly got the quality if everybody stays fit but uh, you wonder you know they won't have that surprise factor that they had last year either in coming up and having that great first season so it'll be a challenge yeah, just in during the game watching it 
it didn't really the dynamics didn't really change for them until Triori came on, mm. the impact player. He he absolutely destroyed Shaw on that on that um, right hand side when he came on. He was getting crosses in. And until that moment they looked very, very comfortable, like Richard said, just to sit back, do what they do best, and that's defending numbers and when they get the chance to break. But I just felt that that was a, a moment there in that game that changed it for them because they wonder the they wonder the pump. And I think European football this year will have a massive impact on where they finish this season in the Premier League because of the numbers that they don't have. I'll tell you what, you're going to see it straight away. This Monday night game over there, and they've got to turn around and play that first leg of the Europa League qualifier against Torino on Thursday night. That's brutal. Then when you think about backing up for the weekend already, by the time they get into the Europa League campaign group stage, if they get there, they're going to be absolutely spent. We get to see Walter Mazzari as well, former Watford boss in charge of uh, Torino. It'll be interesting to see how they get on. And it's a tight game. Those, those Europa League qualifiers are absolute banana skins. You don't know that anything what could happen. Um, so interesting stuff there for Manchester United. And Wolves, watch that Nevers go on loop because that will be one of the goals of the season. Absolutely scintillating stuff. And a great set play too, just quietly, the way that they teed that back up for him as well. So very, very, very good stuff there. Sticking with the Manchester theme, guys. What a night on Saturday night um, with uh, that two-all draw with Tottenham. Bridget, you said last week, you if you were Pochettino, you'd be on your knees praying for a result. Did you chime in with a few prayers yourself? <laughs> when the VR decision came up on the screen, I was in front of the screen praying like mad that it was going to get disallowed. And it was an incredible game. It was a really good game to watch. It was end-to-end stuff. And this VR, I'm, I'm all for it on technology and when it's a, a decision, whether it's offside, yes or no, or whether it's a goal, goal line is the ball over the line. It's, it's, you can put it down the middle, it's black or white. This kind of handball, if it touches a defender in the box, it's not a penalty. If it hits the attacker in the box on the arm, it's, it's not given. It's still open to interpretation. I think it's absolutely crap because they, we need to sort something out in there. He said what? Well, speaking of that, Ilkar Gundigan said afterward, he said on Twitter, today's VAR decision is really hard to take. Any attacker that commits handball, intentional or not, is now ruled a free kick. And if you're defending, it's fine. It only disadvantages the attacking team. In my opinion, the rule needs to be changed. It's not VAR here, because that actually is black and white for VAR. It's actually a new rule. We've been calling for clarity. And now the whole world's gone mad because the arbitrary rule probably didn't quite make sense. If you look at last year's Premier League season, do you know how many goals would have been chalked off or affected because of this new rule? Go on. Three. And we've already seen two in the opening two weekends. We saw it with Wolves-Leicester and at the weekend as well, the interpretation of the handball rule, which was meant to be a way of clearing it up and saying if it's ball to hand in you know, in any single you know, interpretation formally, now it's just not counted if it's a goal. The, the big point that I kind of look at is that we've now seen three clubs in two weekends have their fans in the crowd experience what it's like to see that goal and then have it taken away. That moment of elation, I wonder whether Manchester City fans, Liverpool fans or Wolves fans will ever celebrate a goal in the same way ever again. That sounds dramatic, but they have to sit in the stands now knowing that until it's officially been given and players are back on the halfway line and play continues from the kickoff, you can't be sure. Rich, the players are going to stop celebrating the goals. That's what I see. I see massive celebrations and then you look like you've got egg on your face. I think some of the players now are just going to think, you know what it is, we'll just wait to see what happens. Um, and it's become a farce and we've seen it again um, this morning. There was um, people who were at the, the Wolves. Which is, it, was the Neve, it was the Neves goal they Neves were looking goal. for the first pass. The problem they're having in the stadiums, all the everybody is watching the screens that are in the media. There was a great analysis done on the screen and there was great analysis done for everybody that had, had boxes or screens to look at. 
people inside the ground that had paid money to see what was going on had to wait a minute 50 and nobody had a clue what was going on. There has been hell on about this. I tell you, interesting, I spoke to, he's now the departing FFA refs boss, Ben Wilson, before the season about it. And he said one thing he's advocating with for FIFA, because we've always been, in fact, we've been having this conversation here for three years. We don't want to bore people down on it because England's just starting to have it. But he said he's actually advocating FIFA for comms so that the people on TV can hear the audio from the VAR to the referee to the point that you can actually hear them at the ground too, whether it be over the PA or through ears, because he actually feels like that transparency brings the fans some a bit more respect. Yeah, but it, that, that's an American football style thing that it works in American football because the game has so many stoppages and that's the culture of it. You'd spend more time standing around waiting uh, than not. Whereas in football, it is all about that emotional reaction, that moment of elation where you just jump up in your chair, whether you're watching in your lounge room or in the stadium, particularly in the stadium, just you know, limbs everywhere. Those moments now won't feel as good and they won't mean as much while ever there's this VAR cloud hanging over it. And, you know, it, if people want it to be black and white and it to be in or out and every decision to be as simple as that, then fine. But I would suggest that most football fans don't. I think the image that will sum that up, gents, is Pep Guardiola when Spurs got that late call in the Champions League and he went from charging down the sideline to head in hand slumped. And that, for me, defines the highs and lows. Let's finish talking about VAR. Ash, let's talk about the game itself. Let's talk about City because I tell you what, I don't know how Spurs got that point. Amazing they did. City go again against Bournemouth on Sunday night at 11pm. The way they played, you got to fear for some of their upcoming opponents. I, I think they'll, they'll win it hands down. Uh, the system that they play, uh, obviously attacking-wise, they, they more or less play with the front five, the two centre midfielders of, of the three, if you like, push far, far on. The two wide players, Sterling, if it is, and Bernardo Silva, stay really, really wide. Um, and then also what they do, which is a, a real tactical element for me, what Guardiola does, he, he doesn't, very rarely the fullbacks overlap. They always come in narrow. So when the ball's cleared from across, Man City are always on the end of it, the second ball. So that's why they can build so much pressure in their attacks because it's wave after wave. It's no point, I think, this coaching element is putting one cross in, them clearing it and the ball drops to them. He, you watch the amount of times where that second ball is picked up from Man City and they manage just to keep the attack going, attack after attack. And... I was listening to the commentary in the, in the Tottenham game and I think the uh, the commentator was saying how deep Tottenham were. They're, they're playing with a deep back four. They weren't. It, when Tottenham had the ball and they came out, the back four was quite high up the pitch, which is why Sterling could run in behind. But because they can't get out because Man City keep recirculating that ball, that's why they're so strong for me. How would you coach against them, against the mash? I, I, if you watch Man City attack, like I say, there's, there's five. It'll be Sterling on the left, Bernardo Silva on the right. There'll be a centre-forward with Jesus or Aguero, and then two centre midfielders play right up as well. Uh, so you have to have a back five for me, because most teams have a back four, and they get outnumbered. Man City have a 5v4 if it, if it breaks, which, which for me, you don't like to play a back five, but you've no option, because if you play with a four, you're going to get outnumbered. The full-back... Uh, doesn't know whether to go out to the, the winger, be it Sterling or be Bernardo Silva, because the centre midfielders be De Bruyne goes in and the full-backs are caught between two players and, and it looks de- defensive when you're defending against Man City that you're outnumbered. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a top system and it, it's one that I think is going to win the league hands down. I tell you what, Bridgie, I was stressed f- for Spurs watching the way City came out in that first half an hour. Where it was just relentless intensity executing those things that Ash just, just talked about Zinchenko and Walker look like they're playing number 8 half the time the, 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 the funky stat in the world of football moments expected goal so the game was 2 all and actually on expected goals it was Manchester City 3 Spurs 0.22 it's the biggest margin of dominance a side has had in the Premier League in 20 months without actually winning in all seriousness how the hell did Spurs escape with a point 
because Pochettino prayed the night before, mate, and the, <laughs> the the VR gods looked down, and we got the res- we got a result. Uh, like I say to you, I'm I'm same as Ash. I just believe nobody can come near Man City this season. I don't think Liverpool have got the depth. I would love it to go all the way like it did last season and challenge. But for Pochettino, uh, sorry for um, Pep Guardiola, the squad he's got, the tactics he's got, I just think they are unstoppable. Well, you look at the three subs, Mares comes on, Jesus comes on and David Silva comes on. You know, them three players were getting anybody else's team, you know, twice over. So the, the, the strength they've got is unbelievable. One of the most popular social posts on the Optusport platforms this season has been when we lined up Manchester City A versus Manchester City B after Jose Mourinho said Manchester City B would come in the top four. And let me tell you, there is no... You know, normally when you do a B or a C squad chart, you're struggling for a left back or you're looking for an extra... You pick it with your hands down. It, it's actually... You know what's been very clever for them? There's a guy gone in there, an Australian guy called James Johnson, used to work for the PFA and FIFA. Right. James went in there last season. He got headhunted from FIFA to go and work for the City Group and basically to to oversee everything that was going on off the field. And for them to admit the financial fair play and come up with it instead of getting a transfer ban, that was a stroke of genius. They've held their hands up. They know the laws and have said, we'll cop that fine, but we cannot get a transfer embargo and I believe James Johnson was instrumental and played a huge part in helping City get that get that advice and get it over the line. All right, and so in identifying the fact that they were probably on the brink and they had to actually put their hands up and say... Correct. Fascinating. Well, look, speaking of Spurs, where it was, they come away at the point, and I guess the question ahead of their game on Monday morning against Newcastle United, Bridgie, is if Pritchettino can engineer a two-all draw from a game at the Etihad where you, I say you get absolutely spanked in periods. That's got to all go well for the prospects this season. Oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, because it's there's nothing better than picking up a result when you are so much under the cosh. And I look at Manchester United in their first game against Chelsea. It was a four 0 scoreline that did not reflect the the game. And I think it was Ben Thornley I was listening to last night. He also commented on that it was a it was a massive overachieving scoreline, but you get the job done. Tottenham got smashed. But they got the points, and when you're coming up against lesser teams, you are going to turn that turn that on and turn that into results. Big one for me is Ericsson. Where what's going on there? Do they cash in? Are they going to keep him? There's a bit of unrest, but he looked the best player when he came on. Well, how much do they slide if they do lose him? If they're a team that can maybe challenge for second, third, how much do they slide if they lose their most creative player? You, you can't buy them players. Chelsea are going to struggle without Hazard. Ash has mentioned Pogba at United. Ericsson is the man that unlocks doors and supplies the likes of Harry Kane. And I don't see anybody that has his ability or how you can replace him because Tottenham are not going to go and splash millions to replace to replace him. They're going to they're going to look within. Harry Winks is not the answer. Um, so I'd go all out to keep this man if they can. Good, yeah. Very good. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't disagree. No, I think his stats, <laughs> I his, stats, uh, his stats proving, you know, the, the amount of goals and assists he gets from midfield, uh, like Bridges says there, you know, it's irreplaceable. The, the goals will make the difference. Them top, top players means you get into the top four, the top two or whatever, and, and you can't get them. And if you do try and get them, it's, it's 150 million these days. Um, yep. You know, it's, it's massive prices. And it's statistically... He's right up there for Tottenham. He's done it over the last two years. I think if you look at all the, the chances created, final third at passes, assists, goals, he's, he's the top of everything, shots, and he, uh, he's won it hands down for the last two years. Yeah, you look at the progression of Deli Alley, for instance. A couple of years ago, you would probably say that's okay because Deli Alley's trajectory would suggest that he's the creative force in that team, but his season last year wasn't great. He's not in the team now, obviously, and the pressure on someone like him because Tottenham, fair enough, they can't spend or they don't want to spend, but they actually 
can't because the window's shut as well. Yeah, I think he got carried away with his success as well. He started doing more off the field than he has been doing on the field. Injuries have set in as well, and it's it's not a good sign when you're getting little niggles week in, week out. And I hope Delhi can get his head sorted out and get back on, but I, I really um, think that he, he's struggling in this the environment that he's got himself off the field. Look, they do have a t- potential gem in Giovanni Lucelso, who, who looks a really good player, but as you said, Ericsson's a player with four or five years now at Spurs, building up to become this profile. So for Spurs fans, the end of the month cannot come quickly enough so that that European window can close. But talking about irreplaceable, of course, we saw Adrian's first game for Liverpool in the league, the first start off the back of Allison's injury. And the poor bugger with his ankles swollen from that ridiculous injury where Stricky came on after the Super Cup heroics and, and hacked him, if you can believe it. I just love the way Klopp handled this by just saying, well, now he's a Liverpool keeper and uh, <laughs> he's made his howl, like, get it out of the system. But I mean, Ash, realistically, uh, we saw within one league game how, how big a period this is for Liverpool to be without Alisson. Yeah, huge. Um, you know, they went and spent millions on him. You know, one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive goalkeeper in it. And that was for a reason. Um, you know, you look at Man City's goalkeeper as well. Uh, the way he distributes the ball, how, how pivotal he is to Man City. is the same with, with the Liverpool goalkeeper. He, he's the confidence. He can play with his feet. He's a big presence. And, and you can't replace these top keepers. It was, the, it was the reason why Man United have gone smashed all their, you know, wages, if you like, keeping De Gea, because they know if De Gea leaves, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to replace him. Those goalkeepers, the top, top ones, uh, are hard to find. Southampton certainly could have taken points from this game if Danny Ings had his shooting boots on at the end of the game. Uh, but the truth is, just like Spurs, Liverpool got the points. They got through with the biggest banana skin that Klopp called it after the Super Cup playing in that heat in Istanbul. And they now have that little edge over City. Um, but Bridgie, with Adrian's injury, fair income. I mean, to be caught by a streaker, is that right? <laughs> Did you see anything as ridiculous like that in your playing days from one of your teammates or, or opponents? I didn't see anything from my teammates happen quite like that. That was that was pretty funny to watch. Um, and obviously, you wish them all the best. But I was I was speaking to my wife and I was saying, God, you, I've gone through a lot of injuries. I said, can you remember anything like that that happened to myself? And she said, what about the time you were at Bristol City and you put your back out? <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, yeah. So the story goes, the, the headline was, Bridges walking his dog puts back out on ice and I actually had to tell the club that I slipped on some ice while I was walking the dog in Bristol and put me back out. I'd actually put it out the night before um, trying to do the worm or the caterpillar across the dance floor in Bristol and it, sadly it went a bit tits up and I landed on a table and put my back out and they, I had to tell the club, I was honest with them, but they kept it in house. I got fined two weeks' wages, and um, they they put the headline out that I slipped on the walk of my dog. So I was a bit. Oh, so you fessed up straight away. You actually did tell them what what happened. I had to because I had to get carried out of the nightclub. So there was many people <laughs> who were going to know exactly what had happened, but we kept it all in house. I uh, to be fair, I'm not there. I had a one that happened to myself. Not not too dissimilar to that. Obviously, an injury that should have been not happened. I, I was at Sheffield Wednesday as a player. I, that summer, I'd left and I'd signed for Northampton Town, which was a team that was actually League 2 at the time, but they were spending a lot of money when, when a lot of teams weren't, and they were away on pre-season tour in America. Um, there's two sides to this story. I'd never even really heard of Northampton. I was at Sheffield Wednesday, which was a championship. So the night before I was going to America, I, I googled the manager, because the manager weren't there who'd signed me. It was the chairman that signed me. So I'm looking for the manager's face, because I actually hadn't heard of him. So I've got a picture of him, gone on the website, see the picture of this man with his finger out pointing, and so that's the manager. I've walked into the team hotel, I've gone and shook his hand. It's called Martin Wilkinson. I said, ah, Martin, nice to meet you. He said, I'm not Martin. Martin's over there. So I've got the manager wrong for start off. That was my introduction to Northampton. Who was, then, that? Who was that guy? That was the assistant, uh, uh, somebody Hill. I can't remember his name, bald lad. But anyway, I got him wrong. He got his assistant, got that mixed up. And then the... the 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The day I'd arrived, the lads had gone out to play golf, so they've said, I'll oh, go meet the lads play golf. So I've gone out to the golf first tee, no, no word of a lie. I'm stood just chatting to one of the lads. Next thing, a golf buggy from nowhere runs me over. <laughs> it wasn't a manager, was it? One of the lads in the buggy pressed the accelerator instead of the brake. I've tweaked my middle ligament, right? I'm thinking, oh my God. Then there's Had a, you signed? I'd signed. And there's a game the next day. So what I've had to do, I've gone out for the warm-up, my knees in bits, and I've pretended I did it in the warm-up. I couldn't even run. So I've, I've kind of like jogged over, got jogging for about two minutes, and gone, oh, I've just, just slipped and tweaked my knee. I've gone and I was out for nine weeks. Oh, <laughs> that was my God. introduction to Northampton. <laughs> Just, did you finish the round of golf? Now, well, I did, because I just tweaked it. That's what made it worse. I played 18 holes. I think I got five under, and then I walked in with a nine-week ligament, media ligament injury. <laughs> Liverpool fans will be praying that Alisson's or Adrian aren't out for, for that long a period of time. i tell you what, Rich, is on that, though, bring it back to Liverpool. I find it absolutely fascinating how vocal Klopp is being right now, uh, both in the way he... In, uh, ran over to uh, Adrian after the Super Cup to hug him, embrace him, and the way he's trying to really pump him up and make him feel real part of the dressing and real confident because he, he knows how big this period is now to almost just convince everyone and silence this story that, that it will be sweet without Alison. But he, he, how active he's being almost makes you think he, he knows in a way how big this period is. Yeah, and he's probably also projecting some of his own concerns because he signed a keeper that didn't have a club. It's not like they paid a massive transfer fee for this keeper because he was on the long list. It was taking advantage of an opportunity. Obviously wouldn't have hoped that he would be playing in the first couple of months. So he probably needs to go out in public and big him up, and particularly after the error that he made. He also did it in the first half. Could have very the signs easily. were coming, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he played well over the 90 minutes on the back of a, a pretty good performance uh, in Istanbul as well. So he's clearly a very good keeper. But it just it's the fine margins of having a, a world, world-class keeper and someone that's just very good. And something you take for granted, I hadn't really thought about the way even Allison's distribution. Uh, you know, he can pass through the first line and let Liverpool out, whereas Adrian was a little bit more hesitant on the ball. And you see what happened there at the end, although Klopp says it was his... Uh, swollen ankles so we'll we'll leave him there now Bridgie I'm looking forward to this because we've spoken at length now about City and Liverpool and and one of the key reasons for their success at recent times is some of these absolutely outstanding key players who are just starting the season on fire and particularly the goal scorers uh, where they've just picked up where they left off last year and you're talking not just the usual suspect Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang again I want to know right now we can revisit revisit later in the season on form who are your top five players in the Premier League as we speak I was delighted when you gave me this topic, Dave. <laughs> some homework. To, to some homework to go over, and it was so hard. And I've actually come up with the five, and I've got no Spurs players in there, so that's one that I, I know you guys are going to hammer me about. So where do you want me to start? I haven't done it in order of one, two, three to five. I've just literally gone for five that I would want in my team. If you can order, then let's go five to one, and we'll smash you to pieces. I'm going to start at the back, and I'm going to go with that left-back position, and I've got to go for the Scotsman. Probably the only time I would pick a Scotsman in my team. And it's Robertson of Liverpool. In the top five? Yep. I have got him in there for his assists, his work rate. Um, I could have gone for the other fullback as well. 
um, in Alexander Arnold. Arnold. Zinchenko was there, Walker for City, but I've gone for Robertson. I think this guy is absolutely outstanding. He got me so many points in my fantasy football team last year, so I'm, I've got to go with this guy. That's that. That's very. Um, it's very funky to go for a left back in the top five. You weren't expecting. That's that. very cool. Very well. Fullbacks, uh, you know, in vogue position. So why not? Who's next? I'm going to mix it up here a bit, and just alongside him at the centre half position, a man that has come in and absolutely changed Liverpool's season on and off the field. Virgil Van Dijk. Yeah, they, that's a that's a stable. Anyone disagree uh, with that? The stats. You cannot nah. argue with stats. You can't argue results. And I think the money that they got for Coutinho, who's now obviously on his way to, to Bayern Munich, that money was catalyst for Klopp getting positions that he needed. And Van Dijk, for me, has been the... He's been the stand-up for me for not just the goal scorers, forget it. He has been unbelievable for them. So who else is in your Liverpool top five? <laughs> no, no, no. Moving on. We are going to... Oh, yeah, I have. I've got another one. <laughs> but I'm going to leave him at last. I'm going to go on to the team that won it last season and he started this season absolutely on fire. I think City did miss this man at parts last season. But after watching him in the first two games, this man, I would have loved to have played as a striker with this player in behind as the number 10 maraud midfielder, and that's De Bruyne. Mm. I can... He, he's going to be, if he continues this season, he's going to be one of the greatest players in the world at the end of this season. If the way he... The way he... He doesn't look fast, Ash. I don't know what you think about him, but he, he, he looks slow and lethargic, but he's got a turn of pace. He sees a pass. Yeah, I think he just... Uh, his awareness knows everything around him, so he knows when to drop his shoulder and when just to accelerate that little bit to get half a yard to provide those crosses, those passes. It's his vision that makes him look quick uh, because he sees people coming at him and he knows when to skip past them. He's, he's, he's so just, hard to contain. He just, do you know what he does, Dave? That is absolutely unique. He's a striker's dream because he, he has a look... I call it like taking a picture in your head now. Kids use Instagram and do. You take a picture. He knows what is around him. And when you're a striker, you make a run. There is nothing worse than a, when a player that checks and then comes back on himself because you've got to re, you've got to readjust. You've got to make another run in the inside the area. He just delivers into a dangerous area and players thrive on that. And he's a striker's dream. So for me, he had to be in the top five. Yeah, he's just on the weekend at Cavalas. One beautiful cross and then one fizzed in. And you just don't know where he is on the field half the time. He's just everywhere. Just absolutely everywhere. He's worked way off the ball as well. He's Pep Guardiola's dream. And the man that plays up alongside him, uh, there was talk about him getting in the Ballon d'Or last season, Sterling. Mm. He's started on absolute fire again. He's getting goals at will. The pace, defenders must absolutely crap themselves when they see the team sheet and he's on it. The right back, I'd, I'd be throwing an injury in like me and Ash did. You wouldn't want to play against him. Um, I've had to put him in. And then we're going to finish it off with another Liverpool player. And that's Mo, Mo Salah. I mean, I could have gone for Mo Salah or Mane. I was thinking about putting Obama Yang in there. There was Harry Kane. But Mo Salah, um, yeah, I, I just love watching him. He's a player I, I love watching players that I would pay to watch and get me excited when I see them play. Obviously, your top five is subjective, but it's it's not great for the league that you've only picked it from two teams when you're hoping that a couple of them might actually challenge Liverpool and Man City, but that's the reality, isn't it? Well, I was going to put Pookie in there of Norwich because he has started this season, <laughs> yeah. for, what is it, four goals, he got a hat-trick, but he played against Newcastle United and he got a hat-trick, so it's, it's a great, great welcome for the Finnish man into the Premier League, but he's not up there with these greats that I've put I'll down. tell you what, Ash, I'd find a place for Sadio Mane somewhere in there. Who's your biggest omission from, from Bridges' list? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Bernardo Silva at Man City, to be honest. I think he's, he's doing really, really well. If you see the players that he's keeping out as well, week in, week out, Mahrez can't get a game, you know, people like that. So that tells you something he's doing. I, I think, 
obviously speak, going back to Man United, I'm, I'm not a Man United fan, but just just knowing how instrumental Pogba is to them, I think Pogba would would get in mind five to be honest because he is that good. Um, would you want to manage him? You wouldn't want to manage him. You, you 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 wouldn't know how to manage him to be honest. You'd have to let him do whatever he wants when he wants, come in when he wants, eat what he wants. But when he plays, you can see that he's he's the difference for Man United. And I, I still say if he gets injured, their season will be mid table. You cannot put somebody in your top five that you cannot manage. It's just you can't. You think on who you can get in though. Um, so for me, he's just instrumental. He's is an enigma as you call him. Um, but he's, he's a top top player, isn't he? What what can you do? I could think of other words. <laughs> you know, we've got a feature coming up on Optus Sport in a couple of weeks, actually, which is with his former youth coach at La Havre. And without going over the whole Pogba scenario again, keep an eye out for it because he talks about how Pogba cannot work with a strong manager. No strong manager can he work with. And he said anywhere. He will always be like that. Also made some predictions on where he thinks he might end up or where he wants to go from Manchester United. So, yeah, keep an eye out. Well, Bridget, turn off your social media notifications over the next couple of days. We're going to put your list out and we're going to throw it out to the Wolves and the Masses. We're going to get smashed. I can't wait. (laughs) And we'll see what everybody says. He said what? We're going back to the he said what because I want to ask you, Ash, about what Sean Dyche said over the weekend where he came out after the Arsenal game and he said the game is in a terrible state in regards to blatant acts of cheating. I'm talking about blatant acts of cheating where a player is falling down without being touched. What was he talking about? Because I didn't see much of that in the Arsenal game. Well, uh, I could give you the the X-rated version or the normal version. I actually spoke to him yesterday, and he, uh, one of them on the phone to me doesn't hold back. To be honest, he's uh, he's from Kettering in in Northamptonshire. Um, we can, we can bleep things out, you know. No, he's uh, we we actually went out for an Indian meal with uh, with him and, and and his kids and whatnot over, uh, a few weeks ago, and he, uh, he he took no prisoners in that Indian restaurant. That was for sure. He's, he's nice and loud as you as you see him on the touchline. But he's he's been on about this for a couple of years. To be honest, he can't stand. Uh, Basically, foreign players diving and cheating. Uh, he, he hates it. Um, yesterday, he was saying, I was saying, what can you do about it, though, mate? You're always kind of getting involved. He always mentions something in the media, but you know what? You might as well just let it go. What can you do? And he's like, no, no, it's an absolute joke. Effing joke is what he said. He went, uh, you've got to ban him. He said, you have to ban players. He said, you have to look at games afterwards. If anyone's diving around with, with no contact, they need to be banned. He said, because it's getting out of hand and it has to be stopped. So this is something he's just going to keep coming back to, I suppose. It's his, it's his little frontier. I totally agree with what Ash has said about Dice there. If they, if they are caught to blatantly cheat, then yes, there's got to be something about it. Fines aren't, aren't the way forward. I think a, a match punishment mm. or two matches, depending on how, how it was. But there was one thing I didn't agree with that Dice said. And he talked about if this was a man, if Tony Adams was the captain of a team at Arsenal, he would not allow this to happen. And I've got to disagree with him because I was actually playing against... Arsenal at the time when Adams was the captain and they had a guy in Robert Perez and he was the master at going over inside the penalty area and cheating to get them a result. If you go back and see how many penalties he won, he would never take them. Thierry Henry took them and if Henry got injured, uh, sorry, if Henry got fouled in the penalty area, Perez stepped up to take it. But he was in the same team as Perez and he cheated. So Dice got that completely wrong about Tony Adams because Perez was the master and it used to infuriate me. Interesting stuff. They've had a decent start though as well, Burnley as well, and they play Wolves. They're the team that get Wolves after that uh, Europa League uh, journey this week. Um, what have you made of their start to the season? Because they're in that sort of group of teams that are uh, will be hoping to overachieve this year again. Yeah, I think they are what they are, Burnley. Uh, they're an honest team, hard-working team. They all play for the manager. Uh, they know where they are regards, you know, they haven't got that 
world world class player that can unlock doors in the final third. So they have to work hard for the goals. You know, they concentrate a lot on set pieces that they make uh, it nice and you know frantic. The games intimidating and the grind out results. Uh, you know, when you go out to play against Burnley, you're in for a game, whether that's uh, home or away. You know that they're going to be tough, um, and and you have to, you know, fight hard if you're going to beat Burnley. So for me, they they've started where I think they will. I think they'll end up mid table um, because you know what you're going to get from Burnley, and, and sometimes just the honest hard yards pays dividends. Speaking of starting, well, Norwich, who were very encouraging against Liverpool, and then had a fantastic win of the weekend over Newcastle. You mentioned Pookie, the Finnish striker, Bridgie. Um, we got a lovely 9:30 p.m. Saturday night kickoff for them against Chelsea, and I tell you what. This game could be about 7-4, I reckon, on Saturday night. Um, banana skin for Chelsea with a side that just shows no fear in the way they're playing? Well, 7-4, uh, I can't see it being that day, but it has the potential <laughs> because Chelsea have only scored one and two two matches, yeah? But they have had a lot of shots on target um, and they've had a lot of chances created against United and against, um, was it Leicester? That yes. Be, yeah, and yes. against Leicester. Norwich, on the other hand, they you know twelve shots and eight on target against Liverpool, and then they got eighteen against Newcastle, um, and eight on target. It shows you they're getting in the right area, so it's going to be a very very attacking game, and a massive banana skin for Chelsea because the way that um, Norwich, I'm not going to try and pronounce the manager's um, name, Richard. I'll leave that to you. Well, Daniel Farker. Yeah, so it could be a, it could be one of them for Chelsea and Lampard if they don't get the result. <laughs> You're ready to jump in here, Rich. Go on. Well, I was just going to say, we've got two club greats in the lead-up to this one live on Facebook from Norwich on the weekend, actually. Grant Holt, of course, from the Canaries. Mark Schwarzer from Chelsea. Yeah, They'll be live. Spoil it. I played with him, Grant Holt. He owns me, uh, I sold him about 20 pair of dodgy sunglasses once and he never paid me. Is that so, right? Uh, have a word about that when you speak to him. Mate, jump, jump on the comments. That's the best thing about Facebook Live. <laughs> Didn't just he take up WWF him. wrestling at one point? Yeah, he did. He, um, I think we signed him at Sheffield Wednesday from Barrow. And then he, I think um, he got offered to do some... Some wrestling for charity it was. I heard. Uh, I think he's just got a book out. Actually, I think a book came out when I was over in England last month. Uh, I heard him on uh, Talk Sport, and he was plugging out a new book that had come out. Are you going to buy one? Uh, no, because he still owes me for sunglasses. <laughs> I can't afford it. Hang on, what was the bet for those? <laughs> No, I, I had uh, some dodgy sunglasses once that I was selling to the lads at Sheffield Wednesday and he took a suitcase full and never paid me. <laughs> well, back to the game on the weekend. Um, there's a lot of encouragement around Chelsea in the way that they're playing offensively, but it's going to come to a point soon with Lampard if they can't pick up a, that maiden win under his stewardship. Um, what have you made of them so far and the problems that he has to fix to sort of quieten down that, that story about the way he's setting the team out? Yeah, I think um, obviously Chelsea have had Mourinho and then they've had Sarri and, and none of the Chelsea fans have been happy with the way they play. Um, so, so Frank's obviously got the, the job based on his philosophy and the way that he played at Derby, attacking football because they want to bring some inf- uh, exciting football back to, to Chelsea. But that doesn't always work. Um, they're a young side, they're quite open. It was interesting that I see a couple of his comments. There was a bit of frustrations in the crowd by a few fans and, and straight away Frank Lampard was on the defensive saying, listen, I haven't been able to sign any players. I haven't been able to affect the team. Uh, I've got what I've got because the transfer ban. So already to me, he's starting to feel the pressure a little bit because he's starting to defend what got him the job, which was his entertaining style of football. Um, they're an open side, they're entertaining, but it's all about results. You know, Chelsea fans won't stand for, for not winning games. They won't stand for mid-table. Uh, so all of a sudden, 
you know, the honeymoon will, will finish and, and he has to get some results. Mm, we've spoken at Chelsea at length on this show, particularly after the Super Cup last week, but this will be, <laughs> not my fault, but this will be <laughs> but this will be a really interesting test because they've been open for business that Leicester second half was torture to watch as they were just getting almost three on three at times uh, in defence, leaving themselves open. So um, we will see what happens there and let's hope that uh, for Chelsea's sake that they can shut the gate a little bit to let the attacking joy that they're showing actually match with some tactical discipline and rigour, which we saw they're capable of in the Super Cup. Oh, here's a good yarn. We turn now to our Bundesliga correspondent, Ned Zelich, who tweeted ahead of the weekend's opening round, Union Berlin can't stand RB Leipzig. A few years ago when they met Union, refused to do the customary rival preview in their program. They wrote 700 words on the history of Bull farming instead. On the weekend in Union's return to the Bundesliga, Leipzig beat them 4-0. But I love this kind of story. And what happened in that game was the Union fans, on their return, spent 15 minutes in a silent protest to show their disgust over the fact that Leipzig are owned by Red Bull. So there's so much history and taste in this rivalry. Bridgie, any, you, you must have a truckload of stories about rivalries from your days. Coming from Newcastle and playing for Sunderland, uh, it was a big no-go I think I've already had a yarn on here about getting my father's car, getting glass windscreen <laughs> smashed, car tyres slashed. The funniest one that I've ever witnessed had to be when the Stadium of Light at Sunderland was getting built. We were leaving Roker Park. We were going to this brand new stadium and there was hundreds of people working on this stadium. So we would go down as a team and have a look around behind the scenes with the helmets and things on and see what was going on. We could not wait to get into the stadium. And... The people that had been working on it, there was half were from Sunderland and there was a contract company from Newcastle. And it wasn't until about two months into the season that we realised the place was infested with bloody blue bottle flies inside the stadium. It was horrendous. And what had, what had happened, they found out that there'd been a group of contractors from Newcastle had stashed maggots, boxes of maggots in the air vents all around the stadium. Now, that is a that is a work of a genius, but at the time, it was horrendous. So they had to get the players fumigated. So that was 1-0 to the rival fans of Newcastle against Sunderland before we'd even had a game there. <laughs> Absolutely outrageous. No, there's a, 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 just, I didn't even think of this one, but just talking about rivalries, I remember years and years ago, I was an apprentice at, at Man United, and there was a car washer, a lad called Paul, and he used to come and, and wash the players' cars, get 10, 15 quid, and one of his best mates was Liam Gallagher, and he brought Liam Gallagher in one day to help wash the cars, and he ended up having to sack him because Liam Gallagher scratched Eric Cantona's car on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Man City fan with, uh, with Man United rivalries. <laughs> the lengths fans will go to. Absolutely brilliant. Hey, uh, very interesting, Rich, on the weekend, though, as we uh, stick to Germany, Bayern were one of the big the big four, let's call it, because Serie A starts this weekend across Europe's big leagues that didn't win. It's the first time since 2014 that it wasn't a clean sweep on the opening day for the for the big guns in Europe. Um, read into that what you will. Well, it's a period of transition for Bayern Munich as well because they've lost a couple of club legends. Um, obviously, Ribéry's uh, no longer there, Robin as well. And you look at their side and they don't really have too many, you would say, world-class players. They tried to get Leroy Sané. They did get Coutinho on loan from Barcelona. They'll probably convert that into a, a full-time signing. But they don't look as intimidating and they weren't particularly impressive. Dortmund, meanwhile, had a good win. Mm. So we asked the question a week ago, which in the top five leagues which team is most likely to slip up? You might not have said Bayern. I reckon you'd probably more likely have said either City or 
Barcelona, but they didn't start particularly well. PSG as well, That's they didn't a shocker. start well. And when they've got Leon, a, a club that are pretty inconsistent, you know they were fantastic uh, over the first two games. Uh, Leon, you'd love to see someone challenge a PSG. Whether Juventus as well are in that category, they look pretty strong, but we'd love to just see one of these leagues, the stranglehold taken off one of them. What does Coutinho do, Ash? Is that a, does that a excite you as a signing, as a neutral, or is that sort of... Because he was a square peg in a round hole at Barca. Will he find the, the right fit here? Yeah, that's kind of... You look at Bayern Munich from the weekend, they play 4-3-3, and, and Coutinho, for me, is the number 10. Uh, they don't really play with a, a 4-2-3-1, if you like, so it's it's building a system to get the best out of Coutinho. You've seen it at Liverpool. We haven't seen it at Barcelona, so for me, they may have to adapt to the way they play to get the best out of him. I don't think you can play him wide in a three, because defensively, he's not great. We see him play for Brazil as, as kind of like a holding midfield, if you like, in a 4-3-3, um, where he's trying to get forward and provide passes. But it's about getting him in his best position, which is as a number 10. I think it's a shame if someone like that isn't playing. So I look forward to seeing how he does go. And we'll see him in the Champions League on up to sport, of course, and see if he can reignite his career after uh, that Liverpool period. So, look, Serie A does kick off. And when you talk about who will slip up, Juventus have such a margin uh, on their rivals from last season. But with Mauricio Sarri in charge, that is a cat amongst the pigeons because how will they adapt to his style of play? How will he go managing the massive club? Inter knocking at the door with some signings and Antonio Conte in charge. Napoli, they're the two obvious threats. What are you most looking forward to, Rich? Well, I don't think Sarri will have a great impact on the opening weekend because he's got <laughs> yes, pneumonia and he's probably not going to be there on the touchline. That could be a great symbol or a I didn't sign. Mean, of- sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at him in the pneumonia. It's just the 60 cigarettes a day. <laughs> it can't be good for his health. Well, he's back to a place where he's allowed to smoke durries on the sideline, which uh, we all love to see, but it hasn't exactly been positive for his health. But, we, you know, I think you look at the impact that Conte is having it into is one of the big storylines. They've brought in a couple of good players, including Lukaku, and Conte's long been an admirer of him. And the other players I've got in as well, Politano, Sensi's a good player, uh, Lozano. They've got people in that they really like. And importantly for Inter as well, it looks like they're getting rid of players they don't like and will be a disruption. Nyingalan in midfield, good player, but was left out of the Belgian side for the World Cup because of his influence in the dressing room. Him and Mauro Icardi have created a bit of a... Uh, a dust storm. I was about to say something else then uh, at Inter, but Conte, as we know, he's uh, quite abrasive for players and if he can get the most out of a group that want to work to him, you can see Inter maybe challenging. I hope they do. And Napoli as well under Ancelotti. They haven't really added a heap of quality. They've got Costas Manolis in from uh, Roma. But uh, if they can have a you know build on last season... There's enough to challenge Juve, but the question is for Juve, how much stronger will they be personnel-wise with Rabio, Ramsey, Inguain is back there as well. They've got the players to go on with it again. Potentially Neymar. I don't don't know if they can do that. They've had a little sneak. They've had a little sneak. The ball are going the other way. You never know, but I I can't see anybody coming close to Juve this I'm just intrigued by the Sari factor. Will they play sublime football or will it take time and will this team that was a a rampant machine have some teething problems uh, in adapting to that? But speaking of some of those players you mentioned, Rich. Would you rather? We've got a bit of a transfer rush going in before the end of the Serie A ends. You mentioned Icardi. He's been linked with Juve, so that's another one. Alexis Sanchez to Inter. That is a curious That is a curious one for me. Dybala, he scored that magical chip on the weekend, but he's they want to clear him out and PSG have been linked. Ash, when you throw all those players in the washing machine, who's going to come out the best from those sort of maverick players ending up at their club or, or not? 
I think um, obviously Dybala is a top player, but he, he doesn't play. Uh, and when you've got a player that's as good as him that doesn't play, then that can be a, a bit of a problem in itself. Uh, Akade, we all know it's been well documented about him and, and what his wife does, and now he gets led by her. That's a, a strange one. But there, what does she there do, Ash? <laughs> well, she uh, she basically tells him when and where and what he can do, and she's uh, she's active on her social media as well, giving the fans a bit of stick. So. She's a, an awkward character by the looks of things. But I think with him, he's a number nine and, and they seem to be a bit of a dying breed these days. So he could be a good signer for somebody as long as you can uh, entertain his missus and, and maybe buy her a few Louis Vuitton bags. <laughs> and she has to stay in Italy because I think she's got that many different um, divorce settlements around the traps that her kids have to stay in Italy. It's quite quite a bizarre situation. Alexis Sanchez to Inter Milan. Apparently Lukaku has been on the phone trying to get him over. I mean, that's a gamble of sorts, but... you You'd love to see Sanchez get back to his best. Did you see Romelu Lukaku's uh, Instagram where he took his shirt off and said, not bad for a, for a fat boy? Um, big season for him. Massive season for him. He's got a lot to prove. He certainly has. And like you say, that, that type of hold-up player is just what they need at this moment in time. And that Instagram post was pretty impressive because I've got to say, I did think he was carrying a bit. But after seeing that, it was um, very, very deceiving. I remember Jermaine Genus of Newcastle United. He was a very, very lean lad and he looked, he looked skinny. And I remember witnessing him in the gym with his top off, and he he looked like a Chippendale stripper. He was ripped. He was lean. I thought he kind of inspired me to try and lose my um, my white, pale, puppy fat of a body um, because after witnessing that, and I think Lukaku was just sick of the crap he was being taken. And I thought it was a good little jive back at the at the critics because I think Janola did it a few years back as well. Um, at Gregory, the manager, when he was saying he was too fat to play. He did it and went and showed the manager himself when he scored. It was a, it's a brilliant clip if you get to see it. Yeah, I think uh, just looking at characters and beasts, I think the, one of the ones that sticks in my mind, his, his nickname was actually Big Dave off the uh, the pot noodle adverts. Who's uh, who was a uh, big Darren Moore? I played with him at uh, Bradford, and I've actually seen him once. He never loses his temper. He's a gentle giant, but I see him lose his temper once. And the lad that that gave him a bit of stick, he picked him up and actually put him on the clothes peg in the dressing room <laughs> by his shirt. And that's how strong he was, just absolutely like King Kong. Picked him up on the clothes peg, keep your mouth shut. Dear, dear, dear. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, guys, another packed show. We've gone and run through. And the full suite of European football pretty much kicks off this weekend. So it, we're in full swing. But on Optus Sport, of course, it kicks off at Saturday morning, we love these 5am kickoffs Eastern time. Aston Villa against Everton. Really interested to see if Aston Villa can finally put their kick their season into gear. Then the 9.30pm Norwich City versus Chelsea game. That's a brilliant wrap-up, a br- brilliant day of action on Saturday. Then the full suite on Saturday night. Sheffield United against Leicester. Brighton against Southampton. Watford against West Ham. And Manchester City against Crystal Palace at midnight. I was just going to jump in there, Dave. Aston Villa, will we see a better goal in the opening few weeks than Douglas Louise? After making an error against Bournemouth as well, didn't get the points, but what a strike that was. What a Barney. What about his hairdo? Not bad. <laughs> I reckon you could get away with that, Ash. <laughs> Not for me, that. We're talking about Villa. Let's see how they go this weekend because I think if they continue to struggle, that whole cliche of doing a Fulham is going to come back to bite them. But we'll hold out. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but it'll be really interesting to see how they go. And Jack Grealish needs a win because he's got the worst record of losses. The curse of Jack Grealish. So um, good luck. I think Jack Grealish is just a foil for McGinn. How good's McGinn? Seriously, everyone talks about Grealish. He spends more time on the floor. (laughs) Exactly. That's two weeks in a row you've said that. Yeah, I'm gonna, he's still upset about last for season when yeah, they beat Leeds. That's exactly. what he's upset about because he was a nightmare on the floor. They didn't, they didn't beat us last season. Well. Although they beat us to where we all want to yes. be. <laughs> Sunday morning, it's the big one. Liverpool against Arsenal, 2.30am. And 
if you can't get to it live, if you've got other things on, big night out or sleep, you've got all day to watch all the mini matches, replays and highlights on Optus Sport. We will be coming with you with everything you need. Sunday night, Bournemouth against Manchester City. Good luck, Bournemouth. Monday morning, Tottenham against Newcastle at 1.30. Wolves against Burnley. And that is another packed round of Premier League on Optus Sport. Gents, thanks very much for all your time today. Good fun as always. Thank you very much, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Good stuff. Can't wait to see the fans rip into Bridgie's top five on social media. And to everyone else out there, until the next Gagan Pod, as always, enjoy your football. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.